If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Let us begin. Today, we enter the season of Advent, inspired by the opening lines of Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. What does it look like to live as those who dream? The prophets, the psalmists, John the Baptist, Mary, Elizabeth, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds and the magi, they were all dreamers. They received, discovered, and responded to God's dreams for the world. In Advent, we step into the mystery and awe of God's dreams and work so that they shape our reality. This season is for those who dream of a deeper connection with God and those who dream of a better world. It's for those who dream of comfort and for those who have given up on their dreams. It's for those whose dreams have been crushed and for those who show us that dreams take time. So let us dream together and begin this Advent with a call to worship, calling to those of us who dream. We close our eyes to dream. We can see a better world. We can vision a better future. And when we open our eyes, we begin the work of faith. So come in, you. Yes, you and you and you. So let us come and dream our dreams. Let us find hope here. Family of faith, this is the power of worship. When we enter this space, when we enter this time, we can see a better world. We can vision a better future. And when we leave, we begin the work of faith. Let us dream together. Will you pray with me? We seem to have made it through November, Holy One, or at least three days post-Thanksgiving. We confess to being a little cranky. 30 days of gratitude has worn us out and we still have another day to go. Honestly, we are feeling a little forgotten these days. We are apart from our friends and our family. There are always empty chairs around the table, but this year all the chairs seem to be empty. It was too quiet. 
We take comfort in what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. But even the hairs of your head are all counted. I mean, we're not entirely convinced that you need to keep track of the hairs on our heads, Holy One. But this does remind us to pay attention to the tiniest details of this brutal life. They certainly seem to matter to you. So let us give thanks for the small things, even the hairs on our head, like the warm sun coming through the window, self-seal envelopes, a hot cup of coffee, putting up the Christmas decorations early, the clink of the dog's collar, the excitement of a yet-to-be-opened card in the mail, towels fresh out of the dryer. Yes, we know what we are missing, what we are grieving. But oh, there are so many things for which to give thanks, to remember that are still available to us, to take delight in, if only we'll count them. Help us lean into this moment, Holy One. We can be more grateful now than ever. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from Psalm 80, verses 1 through 7 and 17 through 19. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who led Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, Shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors, our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. But let your right hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Okay, you heard that, right? Psalm 80 is a mood. The psalmist is definitely not putting up the Christmas tree early. Keep your lights and your ornaments and your tinsel to yourself. This is not a gentle, lighthearted, refreshing start to the so-called holiday season. This is the psalm the Grinch wrote, Bah Humbug. Although to be fair, I'm not exactly a put the tree up early kind of girl myself. If that's your thing, you do you. But as for me and Psalm 80, we will wait until December 1st. Okay, obviously, Psalm 80 doesn't care about Christmas, which is fine, because before we get to Christmas, we have four weeks, four entire weeks of Advent. 
a liturgical season of the church set aside for preparing our hearts and homes for the coming of the good news. Advent is from an old Latin phrase, advenio, loosely translated, until the coming. The church uses the four weeks before Christmas and the traditional celebration of the birth of Jesus for examination and reflection, not so much on our inner being, which will come during Lent, but the outer world. For as followers of Jesus called to extend the reach of God's love, Advent is a season we set apart to assess whether or not such love is actually evident in our neighborhoods and our communities. This explanation, however, really doesn't make clear why we're reading Psalm 80 on the first Sunday of Advent. It's a seemingly unexpected scripture with which to kick off this season. After all, as theologian Talitha Arnold writes, it is an odd source for a pastoral word in Advent. It portrays God as unhearing, heartless, and downright hurtful. Unlike its counterpart in Psalm 23, this shepherd of Israel did not walk with the people through the shadows of the valley of death or protect them with rod and staff. God did not prepare a table for them, but fed them with the bread of tears. In the presence of their enemies, they are not the objects of anointing, but of ridicule. Their cup overflows with tears, not blessings. Psalm 80 gives voice to a people's grief and anguish at God's seeming absence. The tone is also a little surprising to us and makes some of us nervous. It feels like the psalmist is taunting God. If you're so great, why is everything so terrible, they ask. I mean, who talks to God that way? Even those of us who don't think of God as an angry old man in the sky, I mean, couldn't they have been just a little more respectful? Like, if you really believe God is that powerful and really does intervene, is goading her the most prudent approach? I mean, be careful what you pray for and all that. You know what I mean? The setting of this psalm was a rough time for the Israelites. Scholar Paul Brassi explains that the mention of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh suggests that the psalm refers to some catastrophe that befell the northern kingdom of Israel, perhaps even its utter destruction by the Assyrians in 722 BCE. Refugees who survived the invasion by fleeing south into Judah might have composed it, the Jerusalem temple would later have absorbed the psalm into its worship. But no matter the precise date or occasion from which the psalm is written, just as with the rest of scripture, it has a way of giving voice to the sorrow of whoever reads it. Of course, we know to expect this from a psalm of lament because of our previous study on the psalms we've done we've experienced to be true what scholar James Mays says, that whatever the original historical setting, the psalm in its continued use belongs to the repertoire of afflicted people of God on their way through the troubles of history. 
These words written so very long ago by people we don't know can be so powerful and helpful as we navigate our own struggles. For as anyone who has experienced loss can affirm, grief both paralyzes and silences us. We feel at a loss for words or in Paul's description, left only with sighs too deep for words. But Psalm 80 gives us the words to articulate grief and frustration that we might otherwise have trouble finding on our own. This anguished voice from thousands of years ago can be heard in the voices of our time. The loved one with a diagnosis of MS, the worker whose job has evaporated in a spiraling economy, the wildfire evacuee with no place to call home, those who are isolated because they are doing everything they can to keep themselves and their family COVID-free, the mom who has been gaslit into thinking she is supposed to do and have it all. Anguished voices indeed. You will also remember that these psalms and our prayers that are inspired by them are not an indication of lack of faith, but a profound confession of trust. Trust in a God who is big enough to hear our hurt, strong enough to handle our anger and our pain. It identifies a congregation as a people who, even in our suffering, has the courage to call on God to help us. That may be the most challenging part of the psalmist's model, people courageous and humble enough to recognize that we cannot do this alone and that we are not completely self-sufficient, self-contained lone rangers. You know, too, from our prior study of the Psalms that we do not have to clean up our anguish or deny disappointment in God, even in God's house. The Psalms remind us that we can just spill it no filter needed, no need to include qualifiers. Just go on, spit it out. Tell God how we really feel. This is why the psalmist sounds aggressive. I mean, they don't have to worry about God shying away from their big feelings. And like the psalmist, we too can bring everything we've got to God. I've said, you remember or you know several times already, because I believe you do, in fact, remember and know these things about the Psalms, including Psalm 80. We've spent more time in the Psalms this year than most other years. We are slowly but surely learning to lean into the same scripture that formed and informed, shaped and sent forth our teacher, Jesus. And in this particular Psalm, we draw close to the repeated phrase, which first appears in verse 3, and then again in verses 7 and 19. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. The language is familiar to us from other Bible stories. Restore us, O God, comes from the Hebrew word shuv, translated turn again, the word orpah used to tell Ruth and Naomi to be on their way. Let your face shine comes from Moses' encounter with God on Sinai and his brother Aaron's blessing on the people. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we might be saved. We may be inclined to hear the phrase, restore us, O God, 
as a plea to return to normal. As often happens in times of loss, we confuse the prayer for restoration with a plea for life to go back to the way it was. This is especially true during the holiday season that includes Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's so very different from what we have experienced in the past. We are yearning for the restoration of a life we once knew, be it the life of our families, relationships, church, even our nation. We hear the phrase, restore us, and we might even think of it as returning to the good old days, or better yet, the glory days. But we know that the psalm is forward-facing, looking not to the past, but to the future. And not only that, we are beginning to realize the truth about the so-called glory days, for as writer and poet Sonia Renee Taylor reminded us early in the pandemic, normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. The invitation during Advent is to keep awake to that truth. Keep awake to the racism that oppresses our entire country. Keep awake to how this pandemic impacts people differently based on income, race, and gender. Keep awake to the reality that the pandemic didn't create out of thin air the inequities and injustices we are witnessing. These challenges were pre-existing conditions when the virus hit. To wish for things to go back to the way things were is a wish of the privileged, a wish of white supremacy, a wish of the patriarchy, a wish of folks who are asleep to prejudice and pain. So then, our hope, or to use a religious word, our prayer, is the same as the psalmist's. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved which is not a desire to go back, but to be strengthened, to be fortified, to be healed, to be made well. I challenge you this week to use this prayer as your anchor point. Instead of tossing and turning at night, worrying about what news we will see in the next day's COVID numbers, Instead of melting into despair over reports of more transition tomfoolery, meditate on these words. Rather than believe that there is nothing to be done, that we're too far gone, whisper these words. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. I say it is a challenge, not because it is a particularly hard prayer to remember. This is a so-called pocket prayer, after all, short enough to write out on a scrap of paper and keep in your wallet. It's a challenge because of what we know has happened when these words have been spoken in God's direction, because, well, 
be careful what you pray for and all that, right? God's response to this prayer has never been as anyone quite expects it. And the people who utter these prayers for help are changed in remarkable ways. And you know these stories too. Moses, the man with a stutter who first abandoned his people to oppression, became God's mouthpiece and led the exodus. Amos, a sheep herder in despair over the state of the nation, he became a prophet. Mary, an unwed teenage mother, raised a rabbi and a healer. And Jesus, who didn't carry a sword, started a revolution that even death couldn't kill. So then, if you're willing, I'll get the ball rolling. Restore us, O oh God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Well, here we go. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.